0: This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God and worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. Well, I want to encourage you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to please open it to the book of Genesis again. Genesis chapter 19. We're still in a series on the life of Abraham. And chapter 19 focuses upon Lot. As I mentioned last week, chapter 19 is a very difficult chapter on many levels. It's difficult because the subject matter is, well, let's just say it's one of which we aren't usually very comfortable talking with. Certainly last week as we looked at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was true. And quite frankly, verses 30 through 38 do not get any easier. Lot's a very tragic figure. This morning it's my prayer that as we look at the aftermath of his rescue. We will hear what the Lord has for us today. So that we can avoid the tragedy that plagued Lot's life. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 30. Remember the angels had gotten Lot, his wife and his two daughters out of the city. They had been warned not to look back, but Lot's wife, probably a native of Sodom, because when Lot left Abraham, he was not married, looked back and was turned immediately to a pillar of salt. Lot had pled with the Lord that he didn't think that he could make it to the hills where refuge was promised. So he said, Lord, please let me go into this this little village, a place called Zoar. And so God granted that. So that's where we pick up in verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters. For he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. and The firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she rose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Father, help us to understand and apply this very difficult passage. And Father, it's easy to sit back and look at the actions that are described here and to sit in judgment. But Father, let us recognize there are none of us, none of us, Father, that could sit back and say, Oh, God, we are sinless. So help us, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I have the utmost respect for those who were prisoners of war. In reading their stories, you recognize that life is certainly not easy when you're being held captive by the enemy. And many times, life is not easy upon release. There's an interesting contrast when you read the stories of those who served as POWs. Some come out and even though adjustment is still difficult, they seem to thrive. You can look in recent years at names such as Senator John McCain and Admiral Jim Stockdale who both served in the armed forces and both were captured in the Vietnam War. They struggled even after release. However, they went on to lives of distinguished service. Contrast that with Colonel Floyd Thompson, who was nine years a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He died in 2002, 20 years ago, and his obituary said, Dying is easy. Living is the difficult thing. And that was very true in Colonel Thompson's life. For even after release... From the hands of his captors. Even after return to the states. His life was never the same. He divorced twice. Battled alcoholism and depression. Men who served as prisoners of war. Some who overcome struggles and thrive. Some who seem to never overcome struggles. Because sometimes. Life even after rescue. Is hard. Lot is the case in point of that. As I said earlier, he had experienced a supernatural deliverance. Angels literally saved his life. And in his supernatural deliverance, he also saw God reveal himself in the destruction of Sodom. We were reminded that God is not mocked, He is just, and He is a God who judges, and His justice is always fair and right. He is righteous. We also saw the grace of God, as I mentioned earlier, as Lot and his daughters are rescued. And even when Lot pleads, Lord, let me divert to this small village because I can't make it to the hills. God is sympathetic. It's interesting that Lot doesn't stay in Zoar very long. Notice in verse 30, he ends up in a cave living with his two daughters. So the question becomes, why in the world would Lot leave Zoar? He's found safety. He's found other people. We don't know how large Zoar was, but we know that he's there and is safe. But we are told very clearly in verse 30 that the reason he left was fear. He was afraid to live there. Which begs the question what was he afraid of? It could be that Lot had taken the angels at their word when they said run to the hills and he thought further destruction was coming. It could be, now we're operating on assumption here, that he was afraid that if he stayed in Zoar and didn't make it to the hills that he would be destroyed. And that is indeed very possible that he lived with this angst that Zoar would suffer the same punishment as Sodom. Even though there's no reason to indicate that Zoar was anywhere nearly as wicked as Sodom. It could be possible also that his fear was that, his, that judgment and reputation, his reputation would follow him. Rem, I remind you that when he came from Sodom and Zoar was a small village, well, you know how small towns can be and how people begin to talk. There's Lot. He's that guy from Sodom. What's he doing here? We all know what happened to Sodom. This, this can't be good. Would Lot bring judgment with him? I think there's no doubt that Lot probably carried with him a sense of shame because of his association with Sodom. Because he had been in a city that was so marked and characterized by unrighteousness, he carried with him a belt of guilt so that his past became handcuffs on his life. Because the past can be like that. Isn't it interesting how our past can be a stepping stone to the future? Or it can be a stumbling block that causes us to fall on our faces. It can be a weight that holds us back. Or a weight like a a bodybuilder in a gym makes us stronger. I think that Lot's fear, certainly if it was the latter one, is one that we are familiar with. That we may never be free of the past. That it's like a shadow that is always there. It may be mistakes that we've made because who of us have have not have not looked back and think oh I wish I would have done something different I wish I would have said something different if I could indeed go back in time I would change that but unfortunately the clock only moves forward For others the past may be tainted by things that we have suffered Maybe it's abuse Maybe it's the harsh words of others And a lot like Lot, that fear causes you to withdraw. Never looking forward. Never thinking you can get beyond your past. You may not be looking back, but you're always looking at the scars much like a widow who Robert E. Lee visited upon the end of the Civil War. As he visited this woman, she showed him a, a beautiful tree, or what once was beautiful, a beautiful tree in her front yard, and she began crying because it was clear that this beautiful tree that had once shown its leaves had been greatly damaged from the Union artillery. General Lee looked at her and he said, Ma'am, cut it down. And then forget it. I understand that advice is easier said than done. and That's often where spiritual warfare comes in, isn't it? Not to let the fear of shame become what dominates our lives. So I ask you this morning. What defines you? Is it the pain of the past? Or is it the gospel? I would encourage you to remember the words that Paul wrote in the book of Philippians. When he said, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now, what he's considering making his own is the righteousness of God. In other words, achieving what God has designed for him. He says, I'm not there yet, but one thing I do. I love it when it's very clear to the point. One thing. There's one thing you can get in your mind from this message. Let it be this. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward, effort, putting effort to move forward. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If we are to move beyond the fear of our past, move beyond the fear of shame, move beyond the fear of what others might think, there are some things that we must do. First is rehearse the gospel. Speak life to yourself and to those around you. You see, sometimes the past is like this looping digital tape in our minds. We keep replaying it over and over and over again. And we find ourselves getting pulled down more. At some point, we must step in with the truth of the gospel that says, My past is forgiven, my mistakes are redeemable, and God is at work in my life now. And I'm moving forward. Speak life. As I said a moment ago, often that is spiritual warfare. That's where the enemy seeks to have us always dwelling on what has happened either by us or to us rather than saying, Lord, you are greater than that. Now, I'm not naive. I recognize that it's not just a one-time thing. It's a battle over and over again that the scars at times are deep. But the gospel is deeper. I would encourage you, rehearse the gospel. Speak life to yourself. You have permission to talk to yourself. As long as you're speaking life. And then I would also encourage you to do this. Find gospel community. Isn't it interesting when you look at what happened to Lot and his daughters. They isolated themselves. They did the opposite. Rather than seeking community, rather than even seeking out Abraham, they isolated themselves. You see, if the enemy can get us to isolate ourselves so that we get caught in that loop in our minds and there's no one around us to say, hey, wait a minute, remember Jesus crucified and risen. Remember the grace of God. We can find ourselves spiraling deeper and deeper away from God into isolation. It's just like a fire when an ember is kicked away from the flame. It begins to die out. The enemy wants to isolate you from gospel community. That's why coming together like this is crucial. It's an act of obedience to the Lord from Hebrews chapter 10, but it's also an act that we need. Furthermore, I would encourage you, if you are not involved in a Sunday school class, to get involved in a Sunday school class, to know that community of those around you can speak life. Now, it's interesting that when you start thinking about why in the world did Lot and his daughters isolate themselves, I want you to recognize this. Fear will lead us to faulty assumptions. See, look at verse 31. The firstborn, the oldest daughter, says to the, the younger, Our father's old and there's not a man on the earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Why did they assume there was no man on all the earth? They just left Zoar. They didn't know what was going on. They were making some faulty assumptions. Maybe they were thinking that the judgment on Sodom was universal, just like the flood of Noah. So even though they had just left Zoar, and even though Lot's uncle Abraham was alive and well, they did not know this, nor did they try to find out. They acted on an assumption which led to sin. Our assumptions can lead us away from God. Because many times these assumptions create a cycle. We start off with this idea, nobody understands the pain. Nobody understands what happens to me. So we start off with this assumption, no one understands, no one cares. And so when we maybe come to church, we build up our defenses. No one cares, so I'm just going to go in. I'm going to focus. I'm not going to let anybody get close to me. And then guess what? We keep everyone at arm's length. So we leave the circle on the right. We perceive we are right. Nobody understands or cares. When we came in with defenses built up. And it feeds this idea that nobody understands. And it leads us away from God. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. We're a lot like Elijah by the brook when he is depressed after a moment of victory. And he says, I'm alone, God. No one else is there. No one else cares. We have to break the cycle of assumptions. We have to break free by asking this. What am I basing this assumption on? Why are you assuming nobody cares? Why are we assuming that God is distanced? Why are we assuming? Why did they make this assumption? It was out of their fear that led to this assumption. It's very dangerous to assume things without asking for clarification or working to understand. Many years ago when my daughter Emma was playing in a travel volleyball team, the team had enough players it created two different teams, a, a burgundy team and a white team. And the coaches said to us, now because we've got two teams Everybody will play. Okay. Now this is when they were starting out. And I can remember I was up in the stands. And the team came out, one of the teams. And Emma was with them. And I thought, wow, I didn't know she was playing now. I thought she was playing later. All right. And Emma sat down on the bench. Okay, that's fine. Don't expect my kids to be superstars, even though they are. And the match went on and on and on. And Emma sat and sat. And sat, and dad started getting angry and angry and angry. What's this about everybody playing? Oh, why ain't my baby girl in that game? Thank God that before I went to talk to the coach, I saw Emma. And I said, honey, why, why didn't you play? Oh, she said, I'm dressing out later. I just wanted to sit with the team to encourage them. Assumptions can be very dangerous things. Look at what happened with Lot and his family. We need to step back and say, what am I basing this on? To slow down for a moment. That's why community becomes so important. Because as hard as it is, at times we need people to ask us those questions. What makes you think that? Why did you do that? Because if we continue in fear and the false assumptions... Those things will lead to action based on past habits. You see, Lot's daughters acted in the only way they knew. I'm not trying to justify what they did because it was wrong. It was sinful. But these were girls that had been born in Sodom, raised in Sodom. All they knew was the culture of Sodom. So that's why this plan to get their father drunk came so natural to them it was all that they knew they went back to what they had grown up in they went back into the only thing they knew to get what they wanted like the disciples post-resurrection the disciples after Jesus even had risen from the dead and they didn't know what to do what did the disciples end up doing they went back to fishing they went back to what they knew If we are not careful, we will fall back into habitual patterns of acting and thinking when we are fearful. You see, as we grow up, we learn, whether it be for good or bad, how to get what we desire. It may be pitching a fit, it may be getting angry. It may be pouting or silence. We learn little things to get what we want. And if we are not careful, those patterns of action will carry over into our lives, even as adults. If anger got us what we wanted in the past, guess what we do now when we don't get what we want? We get angry. Because our assumption is, that's how we'll get what we want. Instead of taking a step back and saying, okay, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, next week when we get into Genesis 20, we're going to deal in depth with breaking bad habits. Because Abraham falls into a habit that we would have sworn he would have broken. So we'll deal more in depth with that next week. But I want to ask you, what habits of behavior manifest themselves in your life when you are anxious or fearful? Become snappy? Angry? Withdrawn? Withdrawn? It's been said that we break habits when we hurt enough that we want to end them or when we learn enough that we need to. Church, I would remind you that we have the Holy Spirit at work within us and within our community to help us. So we don't have to manipulate things. We can can face that fear with confidence because of Jesus. And we can find peace and joy. But there's one more barrier that surfaces in all of this With our fear and assumptions. Fear and false assumptions can lead to grief without hope. As I said earlier, I think Lot is a very tragic figure. Notice, even though the text says that they make him drink wine, I don't think Lot's arm had to be twisted very much. Think about the grief. That Lot was enduring. His wife is not only dead. She was destroyed because she looked back. His standing, his reputation. Remember Lot was at the gate of the city. Gone. Lot has lost everything. When he left Abraham a few chapters earlier. He left with herds, flocks. He had shepherds working for him. He was a wealthy man. Now he's living in a cave with his two daughters. Everything is gone. And in his grief, he has lost all hope. Did you notice what was missing in these verses I read? Nowhere, nowhere does Lot call out to God. Nowhere do his daughters say? Let's pray. Nowhere does Lot say, "Let's build an altar and thank God for our deliverance." Let's build an altar and pray unto God. He is so deep in the darkness that he doesn't even know there's light anymore. But I would remind you this morning that the darkness cannot extinguish light. I'm reminded of what is written in John one chapter chapter I'm sorry, John one five, where it says. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. I've thought frequently this week of the lyrics that we sang last week. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Please hear me this morning. The grief that you are enduring is not greater than God. As long as God is, there is hope. And I would remind you that God is eternal. That is the gospel. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have life, we have hope, we have joy. That even in the midst of grief, we find hope. Yes, there are consequences to actions. You see those in verses 36-38. through 38, That out of this horrible, sinful act, the nation of Moab and the nation of the Ammonites are born And those nations were thorns in the side of Israel for ages. Yet God worked redemptively. So this morning I want to point you to the redemption that is ours in Jesus. Lot fades from the scene. He's mentioned maybe once more in the Old Testament and once more in the New Testament. And that's it. But that doesn't have to be our story. Fulton Alsler wrote these words. He said that often we crucify ourselves between two thieves. Regret for yesterday and fear of tomorrow. Church, I'd remind you Jesus was crucified between two thieves so that you and I don't have to be. Call out to him. Fear does not have the last word. Failure is not final. Jesus is our hope. Bow with me in prayer if you will. Father, in the midst of this very horrible and difficult circumstance we read about, we are reminded that you are gracious and good. Father, I love the promises in your word where you tell us that you give beauty for ashes. So, Lord, this morning we bring before you the ashes of our mistake, the chart over remains of our failures. We bring before you the remainder of our pain. We lay it before you, O God. We take you at your word that you will take those ashes and you will give beauty instead. Now, Father, it's beyond us at times to see how. And, Lord, there are times where we struggle daily in this journey because our minds gravitate back toward whatever pain has shaped us. But, Father, let us be mindful that you are greater than that pain. Your grace is sufficient. And your grace is greater than our sin. Lord, thank you for the hope of the gospel. In the name of Jesus. Amen.